Welcome to the Teams Insider podcast. Good one coming up for you here. As we come to the end of 2023, I spent some time with Micah Singer, who's CEO of Kermi Software and has a really interesting background in the industry. Rather than doing the whole product pitch thing, we actually got into where we see this space going, the telecoms, the IT space, the cloud technology space. Really interesting conversations, some predictions. We'll see if those come true. I just want to say thanks to Kermi for their support of the community work at Empowering Cloud as well. On with the show. Hey, everybody. Looking forward to this one. Bit of a different topic this time, so I've been excited to get into this. Did you just want to introduce yourself and give us a bit of background? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Micah Singer. I am the CEO of Kermi Software. We're a service management provider to large enterprise and MSPs. I've spent about, I guess it's getting on towards 25 years in the telecom and collaboration industry, and oftentimes in small startups. So really excited to always have these conversations about technology and its evolution. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, we talk a lot about kind of the industry and service management, but you had an idea more forward looking as to what's going to happen in, in the whole space, which I'm excited to get into. There's, there's obviously a lot going on at the moment. So it's going to be quite a big ask for us to project what the next five or maybe even 10 years of enterprise IT might look like. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of people end up in a lot of roles. You keep your head down and you you see the things in front of you or a few months out. And uh, and it's really fun when you uh, get to pull back and think about what's happening longer term and then tie what you're doing now to those longer term trends. I know in my role, I'm always trying to do it. it it's hard to get people to focus on 10 years from now when 10 minutes has a problem, but, <laughs> but we'll try and do it on this call. <laughs> uh, I went back and forward on this. The whole AI is the hottest topic right now. Everything is revolving around that. So I feel like we can't not ask that question first, although I promise we won't spend 20 minutes talking about this. But where do you sit in terms of how you think generative AI is going to impact the kind of IT landscape? I don't want to oversimplify it, but for me, generating content is important. And a lot of it in pictures and text, it's going to be mediocre, all right. But in software code, this is where the huge expansion is going to be. So there's going to be a lot more code and any organization that's doing development today has a backlog of requests, the roadmap, the things they never get to. And if generative AI it serves the promise of allowing productivity to enhance significantly in coding and software development, hopefully those backlogs become a thing of the past. A lot more software codes out there. That means a lot more use cases can be supported. A lot more user stories are met. And so the software does more. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's one of the areas where that was one of the early areas. So GitHub had their Copilot service yeah. for all the Microsoft Reach Cloud Copilot branding. And it feels like an area where I don't, I don't want to say there's not creativity in coding because clearly there is, but it's an area where there's a defined problem to solve and there's a yeah. good way to solve it. And the AI could do that again and again, potentially. Yeah, abs absolutely. And, and, and we've seen it already, the evolution of software. A lot of the software we use, especially web-based software, there's things that you used to have to do by calling a human or getting someone involved that you can now do by yourself with code. And it's always needed. One example, you know, when I'm booking a flight now, you know, you can book a flight for a long time, but now you can do these complex changes of flight without a human being involved. And it's great. And, and it's just one complex use case, their user story that's followed. I see that there'll be lots of these in lots of different areas. So there'll be uh, pressure on software companies to build really complete offerings and and do it cost effectively i think this is where ai is going to make a huge impact on our space on it infrastructure management 
I wonder as well on the whole low-code, no-code scenario, that low-code, no-code story really, when I look into it, is still you need sort of a codey type mentality. But if we can get to the point where you can genuinely say to an AI, build a CRM system that lets me do this and this, and it could do some of that, will we end up with lots more bespoke systems to meet business requirements if we move to a period where IT's got very generalized, like there's big cloud providers doing big things, do we go back to a bit more bespoke potentially? Yeah, I, mean, I think bespoke is part of, and, and it's an interesting question that we surely should get to, which is what is the role of IT in the organization? And low-code, no-code is definitely facilitated by more software, but also changing that role. I would say that it favors people who are more focused on being a polymath. They, they have a broad range of expertise, but they don't need to go as deep. Mm. Low-code, no-code is easier to do, is what we hear in, in our world. And no code's great, so you can do so much more. But how do you see it? What do you think the impact will be in, on the IT organization of, of AI and low-code, no-code projects? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've classically had infrastructure IT, end-user-facing kind of IT, business analysts that engage with the business and try and help provide the solution, and probably some in-house development as well. So the different teams within enterprise IT, it definitely feels, and you talked about it, like the, the support end of it will definitely be impacted because a lot of those questions are very samey, like this doesn't work. How do I do that? It feels like AI could solve a lot of that problem. Will it get rid of the classic enterprise IT support? I'm not sure, but I certainly see enterprise IT being more responsible for there's now a plethora of technologies available to us. How do we help drive a business objective rather than spend our time in plumbing. I'm always trying to think of analogies. And one of them is maybe flying an airplane. You think when you get on a big commercial airliner and there's a huge plane and there's a little cockpit with a bunch of levers and buttons, and there's a person in there controlling this really complex piece of many technologies. And back in the day, it used to be you go into the air with an engineer on board. You wouldn't fly with just a pilot. You'd have an engineer back mm. in the back moving things. And then the next step was fewer engineers, but fewer granular controls. And you had maybe some diagnostic systems that were telling you what was happening. Um, but now in, in air, airplane travel, it's really, you have this person who has general knowledge of physics and engineering and cloud weather systems yeah. and cloud dynamics. And you don't need to be an expert in any of those. You just need to be really good at all of them. So I think the generalist will be favored by these systems that support moving huge organizations or airplanes or whatever it is with less knowledge. That, yeah. that resonates with me. Definitely, you're not going to be the person doing the plumbing or engineering how the thing works. You're going to be the person helping choose and navigate the solutions. The way the IT's gone over the last 10 years, it feels like we've gone from very bespoke on-premises, like bit of this, bit of that, to very generalized, the big cloud platforms all have, in terms of UC as a service or office collaboration as a service, similar offers as a SaaS, but also we've got all this cloud technology where you can pick and choose and build your own solutions. Do, do we end up being custodians of some of these things come out of the box? Some of these things are custom to our organization. Uh, and I think you're right that, that there'll be a whole bunch of generalists that also have to be able to talk business or organizational requirements as, as much as IT requirements. It won't be a bunch of kind of propeller heads in, in, in the IT box. It'll be part of the organizational conversation, hopefully. And, and yeah, and I was just thinking about how to boil it down. So a lot of IT and technology is you need people who know how to do things. So it's the how. So we need someone that can do how. And 
I think it's more in the future, maybe 20, 30 or 10 years, it'll be more why. Why are we doing it? People who can answer a different sort of question, which is important, which probably makes the job a little more fun and more cerebral. Yeah, yeah, now. you're you're not the, the the firefighter fighting with the making the fundamentals work. You're into business value, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. It's a technology cycle that we see again and again in different areas. I think, especially one like IT, where all the stats are of spending, like cloud infrastructure spending, IT spending, things closer to home, like UCAS and collaboration spending, uh, has grown a lot. And all the projections I've found just show it's set to explode double in the next five years. I saw one that was 24% CAGR between now and 2030. I mean, just really big numbers. So that means a lot more complexity. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well, the kind of weird dynamic of certainly with the big cloud platforms, when you see the vendors selling those in, it's not about the complex deployment or the management. It's all about like, this is easy, a business value, but the reality is not quite there. There's still a lot of pieces for enterprise IT to tweak and manage and support i feel like a lot of that will get ironed out to be more bau genuinely be able to turn it on and they'll be able to spend more time on the why are we doing this what result are we trying to drive so one question i have for you and then you're a bit deeper into this than i am is i love this evolution and explosion of technology and generative ai is great for software development it's also great for hackers and for things that uh, compromise security in this world where instead of 20, 30, 40 billion a year, it's 150 billion a year spent on IT security or IT infrastructure. How is security going to keep up? That's a really good question because all the tools that we're talking about here that can be used for good can also be used for less good or nefarious. I'm really interested to see how we deal with the kind of spam, phishing, robocalling AI conditions. Various people can talk about trying to keep that technology out of bad actors' hands, but it's already out there anything that's out there that bad guys can get to so i am genuinely thinking the it security landscape will just become like at the moment again it's a conversation where there's a team that needs to look after this but it will become core to the business digital is core to the business it infrastructure is core to the business security of that infrastructure will be core to the business but no doubt we'll have ai on both sides of the fence ai trying to do the phishing emails and ai trying to combat the phishing emails. so it'll be a big AI versus AI conversation, I suspect. I'm, I'm curious to see, especially social engineering is becoming more and more sophisticated, but with AI being able to provide a feedback mechanism to make it even better and to specialize yeah. engineering to types of profiles. It seems to me like the question of security is, or what are the role for the largest technology companies and what are the roles for startups and innovators? And it seems like the role for the largest companies is going to be creating that physical perimeter and creating security. This is what Microsoft and Google and Amazon will be large enough to solve. And it maybe in, in the same way that uh, some of the antivirus software used to do your own protection and spam filter, and then you, you've got something to protect your computer, and now you need something to protect your whole enterprise. Idea. Yeah, that's a really good thought. I think traceability of messaging slash content will become really important at some point as well. Like EMAD is such a problem. It's such a great technology because it's a level playing field for everybody. But it's such a challenge because you can send thousands, millions of messages for no additional money, pretty much anonymously. So you can just blanket targets. If it's all TLS by default, if you have to have certificates in some kind of infrastructure, it gets a lot harder to do that kind of attack. But it's, it's interesting. We're only five people empowering cloud, but two people joined recently. And both people, clearly something is scraping LinkedIn because we immediately got the kind of 
WhatsApp type message of, hey, I just joined. Tom said the bank account details have changed. Please send me this or that. And clearly, that's not an individual doing that because we're too small to worry about. There's some kind of automation there just scraping LinkedIn and chancing automated emails. So the automation's there now. It'll just get better. We do these quarterly security trainings, or, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. I think a lot of companies do it. It's computer-based training, and it's to make people savvy to, I don't know, don't play with your phone in a crowded elevator or don't pick up the USB key in the parking lot. Yeah. And I understand it's worth 15 minutes for us all doing it, but it seems very inadequate to the challenges that are coming our way. <laughs> yeah. Email's particularly yeah. hard as well, because how do you tell a non-technical user to watch out for phishing these days when... It's normal to get emails from something at info.company.com or you, you could have said back in the day, if it's not the .com, it's not them, but companies have now a subdomain for marketing or a .co or whatever else. Like there's no hard and fast rules. It's a sense of this doesn't feel quite right. But yeah, it's, it's not a kind of black and white conversation anymore. And you both want employees to try and be helpful and go the extra mile and simultaneously tell them to be paranoid and don't tell anybody anything ever. It's a tough one. So it's so a Kermit that the customers we're dealing with, one of the first two questions they ask us is about security and what precautions we're taking. And we are taking a lot and, and every company worth of salt has to investing in this, but it feels as we and as everyone moves to cloud, we're leaning more on, for us, it's Azure. We're leaning more primarily on Azure to put tools in place. And then just to follow certification and compliance uh, rules like ISO and SOC. And, and those are sometimes window dressing. You might have the right process, but really protecting that perimeter is very difficult. And I think we'll look forward to in five or 10 years, I think this will be just a bill you pay to Azure or AWS. Yeah, yeah. yeah your your antivirus analogy seems interesting, which is like the biggest provider in the world will have to group together to be like if you come on any one of our platforms, we're all sharing the bad actor information. So totally, exactly. Yeah. There's too much. There'll be too much. It's too yeah. overwhelming. So a bit closer to home, like obviously the hybrid work thing feels like we're almost done now. Just people can work mm -hmm. from anywhere, but I don't feel like we've seen as fast as I thought we would that our, I as an organization can now employ people from anywhere because if they can work from anywhere, why do they need to be in the, the home country necessarily? My prediction is that we'll see globalized hiring happen more and more because companies are aware of costs and they'll see opportunities for talent anywhere in the world. Do you think that will happen? And, and if it does, what does that affect for kind of business needs for IT? So I think it is happening. I've been really curious about reading studies of this, especially post-pandemic, to see how much of a blip that was in sort of people working remotely and from home. But I saw something that said, we call it hybrid work, but in 10 years, it'll just be called work, um, especially for knowledge workers where location's not that important. The keynote at the Cisco WebEx event last year, he talked about the office being a magnet, not a mandate. I mm -hmm. thought that was quite compelling. The idea, you'll come to the office if you want to, or if it makes sense. But what we're seeing, and, and I was reading, the McKinsey does a study, workplace study every year, and they came out with their one in July, and it mentioned that among larger enterprises, the average days in an office per worker has been steadily declining. Went down a lot during the pandemic, but even taking that out, it's something it's gone from 3.7 to 3.2 days. So there are trends towards remote work and any trend toward remote work, you know, hiring people where they sit or letting them sit where they want leads to more communication tools. There's got to be more yeah. tools that they're using. There's lots of things we know about. There's specialized tools for domain within a company, within an industry. So I think this 
trend is part of the amplification of IT infrastructure spending. And I don't know why we would see a reverse on it. I think even national borders might come into play, like you've said. That feels like an interesting kind of paradox, doesn't it? We're both simultaneously developing the tools to work from anywhere. And it feels like, certainly in my time in IT, it feels like more than ever before I'm being asked questions about where the data is located. Is it within boundaries? Different geographical rules on data processing. If I can hire people from anywhere, maybe I can from a technology point of view, but I can't from a data point of view, or I can't from a regulatory or tax point of view. So does that shape the landscape that while we have the technical capability, the regulation actually slows that down? Yeah, it probably will. And the world's in a bit of turmoil now. I think there's these boundaries, but even within national borders, I think people are gravitating to work-life balance or less commuting, and especially among the the group that's consuming IT infrastructure most heavily, which is, again, knowledge workers and right, people like us <laughs> yeah. who are working from everywhere. It is really interesting to see the, the direction these are going in. And more IT spend, does it mean more providers? I, I alluded to it earlier, and I think that when it comes to solving big problems, there'll be a few people solving them, the platform providers. But when it comes to all the small innovations, big companies don't tend to be good at that tends to be smaller folks uh, who have very domain-specific knowledge. Do, do you see IT expanding in maybe the average amount of IT systems used by a large enterprise going up or down in 10 years? Yeah, I see it going up. I, I think to your point, there'll be a core, like everybody needs some kind of email, some kind of file sharing system, some kind of meeting system. Those are fundamentals. And there'll probably be two, two or three providers that just become the door. If you look at email, there's not, 15 providers vying for competition there's a couple left and i think it'll be the same for the core but because of all the cloud innovation the ability to create your own line of business apps or for a startup or 50 people to build the world-class thing for that industry they are the best gp practice scheduling tool they are the best xrm for gyms whatever it may be but they can build with that cloud scale, with that security, with that compliance, because they're building on top of these cloud platforms, I think we'll see more of that. And I think businesses logically are going to want to be competitive. So if everybody's using exactly the same IT platform, that's not competitive. They're going to be looking for that edge, be it that they bake it in-house or being that they go to, like you say, a, a smaller company, a more focused on their industry kind of company. And so one trend I think that, that follows on that that's fascinating is Historically, uh, really large companies that are making a ton of money would use that money to, like Cisco's done it quite well, they'd use it to buy innovation. They'd buy yes, people who Yes, that's been innovated. their classic model, hasn't it? They will either yes. spin out or sub-invest and they, they, they almost admit they don't innovate in-house, they go buy and, and absorb, basically. And the reason they would buy is because the way for them to monetize that thing was to own it. And to sell it to a lot more people and to, you know, everyone wants Yammer or everyone wants a social app. So Microsoft yeah. buy Yammer or spread it around. But I think what's happening more and more is these big companies have figured out how to monetize without buying. At Kermi, we're part of Solutions Plus. We're an independent software vendor for Microsoft. We're in the crowd at Avaya. Yeah. And we were just at Zoomtopia. And so there's all these new ways of running a platform that let you provide security and infrastructure and monetize it without ownership. I saw NVIDIA even did it the other day. They have a pretty active uh, venture fund. Like all yeah. of these companies are investing in startups that are not them. 
they're about innovation, they use them as a platform. That is interesting. Yeah, you're right. There's two trends there. So one is that they want you as an ISV, as a solution creator to use their platform. So they're making money out of you that way. So if you're winning, they're winning from that point of view. But also a lot of them are pushing for marketplace models, aren't they? Because Apple makes so much money out of that B2C marketplace scenario. Huge. You can see Microsoft are very active on this. They want you in their marketplace to present the solution to customers. So Microsoft is taking a much more reasonable percentage, but they're still looking to take a percentage of that business. So yeah, that for the first time, they're motivated to have solutions run through a marketplace because they could make money on you as using their infrastructure and you through a transaction potentially. In a way, it's sort of good. I was a political science major way back in school, and we talked about hegemony, and large companies are exercising this. You, know, you don't have to go conquer the land or buy the company. You can provide the a better, more yeah. fertile ground for them to act in and, and, and monetize it that way. I think that'll be a trend that we see uh, writ quite large. The companies that can get to that platform level, which is not easy, will be in a great position, and it bodes well for innovators who who have ideas and yeah i think that, that's a really good point i also visibility. think the larger customers maybe all customers have worked out that when the product gets consumed into the google the salesforce the oracle the microsoft innovation naturally slows down like, like yeah. yammer was the thing it was doing lots of seats mm-hmm. it went into microsoft it became one of 20 things yeah and that product is a good example it's stalled out yeah. it's not even the hot thing anymore at microsoft if that had been standalone, they'd be in control of their own destiny and living and dying via innovation. So I think some customers certainly realize that it's not necessarily better to take the product from the large enterprise if they want to be on that innovative edge. And also if they want to have influence over that product, if it's a one or smaller product company and you're a customer buying it, you have much more likelihood of impacting the, the roadmap and what the requirements are if you're working directly with that vendor versus the, the, the giant cloud provider. Absolutely. It's interesting to prognosticate. It's interesting to, to identify these trends. Bringing it back down to, I think everyone who's listening to this is saying, well, how does this apply to my business? And that's for you to figure out. <laughs> but hopefully there's been some good insight. I know that's something that we spend uh, quite a bit of time on a, every quarter. We do strategic advisory committee meetings and try to use that sort of like far forward knowledge to inform what's happening in the next year at our company. You guys are doing it, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. So give us a bit of taste of that, Mike. I know you didn't want to get too much into the Comey stuff, but what's mm-hmm. top of mind for you in, in your space? It's a the twofold move to cloud. Kermi as a service is something that is our historically on-prem product, which is, is being transformed into a cloud product. We already have customers on it, but it's a, it's a work in progress to make it as robust or even better, you know, a cloud product is different from an on-prem, so to yeah. make it work best in that model. And then it's really just not us just moving to cloud, but the UC and C tools that we allow enterprises, ultimately IT administrators to manage are moving to cloud. So that presents new challenges for them. There's more systems, so we need to solve more problems. It's not just Microsoft and Cisco and Avaya anymore. Yeah. And then there's problems of cost management. So it's not just provisioning, which is a lot of service management associated with provisioning. There's licenses and cost management and efficiency. And then there's performance management. How is it performing? Is there fraud? Is there uptime? And what can we do about it? Our strength is talking to the UCNC machines, actually the granular conversation and settings. That used to be a human pushing a button to do something and kicking off a complex workflow. Increasingly, it's a ticket and service now or some other system kicking off a complex workflow. 
in the future, it'll be an AI ops system or some sort of intelligent analytic device kicking off a workflow mm-hmm. that fixes something. So more and more automation around um, IT management, because if IT spends going up, the more you spend on management is the less you spend on tools that improve your digital worker population's uh, lives. We think this is making a case for outsourcing and we're trying to make it less expensive and less time consuming to manage the complexity. Yeah. As that spend goes up, you want to make sure you're driving value out of it. Like you say, the licensing implications, the usage implications, as well as the ops is definitely a, uh, a big talking point, I'm sure. Absolutely. What, what, what are your next steps for empowering cloud? Your audience is, is really interested in these topics, but how do you see this unrolling for you? In the yeah. Next year so, so we've got two strings to what we're doing. So we've got all the free education content, which is on back. So thanks to you guys for supporting that among others. Of course. And then we have the working directly with enterprise and Microsoft partners. And the biggest thing we're hearing from enterprise is dealing with the operational part of Microsoft 365, the speed of change the comms from Microsoft. Some mm-hmm. things are in the roadmap, some things are in the blog, some things are mentioned at events. So we started pulling all the change into an Azure database and we're slicing and dicing it and providing reporting to enterprises to help them manage the change. We're still in the early phases of that, but that seems to have really struck a note with enterprise customers. I haven't spoken to anybody yet who's like, oh, we've totally got that handled. It's fine. Everybody's like, yeah, it's it's hard. Everything is moving so fast in so many directions and is so integrated now. So I think an increasing part of our future is helping organizations deal with that change, understand it, know what what, what is going to be user impacting, what's going to be IT impacting, what's just for your information. But it's a super exciting journey to be on. I think there's just so much going on in our space. That's great to talk about it. We look to you guys for this kind of insight uh, to keep us focused on the knowledge that we need about Microsoft. And the videos and trainings are, are really great for technical personnel in particular. Uh, and actually, we, we've talked about adding a few to that. So we'll try and do that over the next little while. But in the meantime, it's great to be part of the community. Awesome. I really appreciate this thought, Mike. And thanks for the insight. We're going to have to look at this in a few years' time and be like, how far on or off were we on our predictions? <laughs> Hopefully, we're right on. <laughs> thanks, Tom. Cool. Thanks a lot.